Welcome to Season 4 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Proudly sponsored by All Play. If you're looking for a board game table, bag, playmat, or great board games, check them out at letsallplay.com. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 79, Mantis. Today, we are joined by Jeremy Posner and Ken Gruel. Together, they design Bunch of Butts, Hershey S'mores, Tic Tac Pong, Geologics, The Best Worst Ice Cream, Mantis, and honestly, if we kept talking, it's going to be Star Wars. So thanks for joining the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. For anyone who doesn't know about the two of you, mind kind of explaining how you got into game design and then also how you met as a co-design team. Ken, you want to go first? Sure. So I started designing back in 2009. And as most game designers, just did it as a hobby for a long time and eventually got enough published games out there that I could switch over to doing it full time. So I was freelance for a bit. And then probably almost three years ago, uh, I joined Exploding Kittens as a senior game designer while still kind of wrapping up some remaining projects that I had. So that is my story. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah. So my story is different. The, I started kind of in toys. So, so I went to school for mechanical engineering and it was in Michigan and like 80% of my class was going to work for the auto industry and I didn't want that. So I ended up getting an internship at Mattel. And from there, uh, I met Dave Okada, who was the VP of inventor relations at the time for Mattel. And he really got me plugged into the world of toy invention. And so I ended up working at a couple different toy invention firms in Chicago, Ray Kemper Invention and Design, and Big Monster Toys. And at BMT, I really started spreading my wings more in games. And then when I went off on my own, my plan was to do toys and games. And then I just kept tilting more and more and more into games just because I have too much fun doing it. Yeah, that's how we got here. <laughs> How'd the two of you end up connecting? That was through a mutual friend, Nick Bentley. And uh, Ken actually reached out to me. Um, I, I guess, Ken, you can tell the story. Sure, yeah. So... Uh, it was at a New York toy fair. I don't remember how many years back, but let's say probably around eight years ago. I was pitching to Nick and I, I was friends with Nick from um, even before then. Uh, but I was chatting with him after the pitch and I was just asking him like, who is up and coming in the industry? Is there any designers that are pitching stuff to North Star Games, which is where Nick was at at the time that really impressed him or that um, was like great at Game Hook? I think that I, I identified that as the area that I was probably weakest at at that point. So Nick immediately said, Jeremy Posner. And so I looked him up and he was in Chicago, which is where I was at the time, um, but he had recently moved to Michigan. And anyways, I just reached out to him, asked him if he wanted to ever had a chat. And I think he... Oh, I, I believe I said no. You probably said no. I yes. did. I, I... <laughs> I remember, like, I remember we went to, oh man, it was the, that Bibimbap place in Chicago um, mm -hmm. and Hakore. But yeah, I remember, and you're like, I think we should work together. And I was like, mm, no. And then, uh, and then like a week or two later, I sent you an email and was like, all right, let's see what working together would be like. Then obviously it, it worked well. So, yeah, <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, I think, yeah, you had, you had your, your you had your trust issues because you were working at, you know, big firms that they are all secretive about stuff. Yeah. And I think you're also just like apprehensive about splitting royalties, which, you know, it's kind of silly, but it's, it's definitely a thing that you have to do when you take on a co-designer. 
Yeah, absolutely. And 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 obviously I'm very glad that I that I changed my mind and and cuz Ken and I do a very good job working together. Yeah. I think we we did the like easiest approach, I think, when you're trying to meet another co-designer, which is like, let me show you my graveyard of game ideas that never got anywhere and you do the same and if anything, you know, if either of us can save anything, then let's do it. So I think that's what we did and kind of just built it up from there. Oh, that's so cool. And I've honestly done that a lot of times restarting a game design is just adding a co-designer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's the fresh perspective is awesome. And then as I mentioned, like Jeremy was very strong at game hook. Um, he's still to this day, even though I don't like to, to tell him this because it builds up his ego too much, but he's still like one of the best people that I know at game hook. Stop. Um, so Aww. he saw things so differently than I did. So it was great to just like, I pitched him stuff and I was so focused on like game mechanics at that point. And I, I was fo- so focused on like, let's do things out of cards and cardboard and stuff that I can easily do. And he's over here with like a 3d printer and able to do so much more that it was, yeah, kind of open the floodgates. It was interesting from my side too, because like, the I I looking back I was so bad at game design back like I mean like the the number of game mechanics I could have told if you just said like name game mechanics I probably would have gotten like three or four at the time and and so so I I know that I helped Ken with his hook um I appreciate the compliment by the way but I mean Ken really helped me with my game design and I think one of the things that has like really moved us forward is that Ken and I are always open to trying to get better. Sometimes it can sometimes it can get in our way where cause a lot of the conversations we have are how do we get better at game design versus just actually fixing up an old game or, 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 or getting into the mud and, and making something fun. So the, but those conversations have grown us a ton. And, and now I actually I, I recently started teaching a class in game design where I would there, I'd be nowhere near here if Ken did not get me into the, the actual dirt of it i remember he was he was he mentioned like six different books he's like have you read this book or this book on game design blah 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 and i'm like i none none of that i just tried would try and figure out what's fun and uh and obviously now i'm a, a lot more well learned and learned that can't be right but now i am smarter man and they, I, I would give a ton of that credit to ken well thank you oh i love that i also love the fact that you guys used to live in the chicago area where i also used to live and the fact that nick bentley got you together because he was my co-designer on a game and he and i are very opposites and it's funny that he helped you guys find a person that could like fill in some of those gaps that's pretty great yeah he's the expert matchmaker (laughs) he's great we love nick all right well then let's jump over to our spotlight we're talking about mantis how did you two come up with it and how did you end up getting connected with exploding kittens was it something where you already working there ken or did you pitch it how did that all go so to start with mantis this was one of those game ideas that um kind of as we mentioned i was just pitching jeremy some things that previously had not worked for me and one of those concepts um, was like a simple push your luck game where the backs of the cards would show either like green if it was relatively safe or yellow if it was semi-dangerous or red if it was very dangerous. But I think that inspired Jeremy into just creating a new type of card, which I'll let Jeremy explain. Yeah, it was so, man, I'll I'll jump off on a crazy tangent first. So I know that having listened to tons of game design podcasts and, and doing some reading of of different ways to design first, uh, Ken and I had been discussing 
trying to design a game component first. So so as opposed to hook or name or anything, it was like, well, what if you had this component? And so what popped into my mind was, well, what if you had a card where the back was three different colors and the front was one of those colors? And we played around with, we talked about it a little bit. And we're like, I don't know what the gameplay would be. And so we just said, well, let's just make it. Uh, and we made it in Tabletop Simulator, which huge shout out if you're not prototyping in Tabletop Simulator, it saves so much time. Oh my God, and materials. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. But um, yeah, so we made it in Tabletop Simulator and then we're like, okay, let's figure it out. And I think it was the first session. It was probably within like 45 minutes. We had 90% of the gameplay. What would you say, Ken? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those rare times where things just click and it i mean we also like kind of lucked into it oh so much i think our first deck that we made of these cards we were just like let's do seven different colors which is what ended up being in the final version and it's, it's one of those times where it's like yeah maybe if we chose like five different colors or four different colors it could have fallen flat on the first play test and we could have killed it so i think we we lucked into that we picked the right number of colors we made the deck and then we just started playing around with it things clicked and it's one of those very, very rare moments where everything works beautifully. It's interesting. I think part of the reason that that I just pushed us to make that deck too was a similar thing had happened. Um, I have a game called Beagle or Bagel with Blue Orange. And I had had that concept idea. Like I, I probably had spent six months trying to figure out what the gameplay was and I hadn't made a thing. And then once I just finally sat down and made the cards, I figured out the gameplay instantly. So sometimes it's just important to have a thing in front of you because it's so much easier to ideate off of it when it's there as opposed to keeping all the plates spinning and balancing in your head. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is another one I'll give props to Jeremy for understanding that a card that is like that is going to be unique and look different and be fun and be exciting for a publisher to to kind of play with something different. So yeah, I, I was in for making the deck and then... I wish I wish I had the forethought like like I wish I had thought about it like you just said Ken cuz I think my <laughs> my thought process was like this is different <laughs> let's make it but it, it it also got us like going down this path of like trying to design more component first I remember we tried to do like a couple other games and one of them came out one of them another game that we did component first was was Corners Up with Fat Brain Ken and I did that together but we also probably had like five or six failures that we tried to do component first but anyway, that's that's we I got off of our spotlight, which which I think is our, our next step for Mantis, right? Sure, yeah. So after we made the game, um, we themed it up, we put a name to it. Which was not Mantis, by the way. Which was not Mantis, yeah. We we showed it at I believe it was the 2020 Toy Fair, which is like right before COVID. So we showed it to some publishers, it had some interest. But then COVID happened, and I feel like that was just a weird time to try to license games. Like, no one was really taking anything, and it took some time. I, I know the prototype got tested at a couple places. Yeah, it had, you know, some some positive reaction to it. But I think COVID kind of threw a wrench into it. So after that, we are still trying to license the game. And I took a job at Exploding Kittens. Uh, I was friends with Eric Lang, who um, had started consulting there. And he was like, hey, have you thought of working here? And I also was friends with um, some of the people that are already at Exploding Kittens. And so it was kind of one of those things where I was very happy and freelance, but this opportunity came up that I was like, I, I can't pass this. Like the people at Exploding Kittens are so good at marketing. Like I could absorb so much from them. So um, I took the job and right before I started, I started kind of 
looking through the ideas that we are currently pitching and gathering some that I thought could work for, um, for Exploding Kittens. And they also wanted to see basically everything that I was pitching at the time. So I think I brought in like 15 or so games to play with them, like the first company retreat or the first time I went into their office. And one of those games happened to be Mantis or what turned into Mantis. It was one of those like very quick and exciting turnarounds where we played the game. Alan Lee, who's uh, the founder, co-founder of um, Exploding Kittens, he loved it. And Matt Inman, who is uh, the webcomic The Oatmeal and also co-founder of, uh, of EK, he also really enjoyed it. There was some good momentum right away. Uh, I think I played it with them on like a Thursday. And by Tuesday of the next week, Matt was sending me like cover art for the game. I was like, hey, what do you think about this? Oh, wow. It was it was like a very fast turnaround. And um, I don't know, those are always the, the very fun moments. Being an inventor of like seeing publishers get exciting about something putting time into it and kind of getting some buzz going. Well, and it, and it gave us, it gave us this view that I'm sure every invent, I mean, I'm jealous of for most projects, but, but it was, it was a really nice kind of peek behind the curtain of like what happens when a client is excited with the thing, because like Ken was working there. And so it like, like we, we got to know a lot more about kind of the stages it was at, which is cool. Cause normally when something's signed or someone's excited about a thing, you, you're just, you, you hand it off to them and, and, and be like, Oh, I hope they don't screw this up or, or I hope they do a great job. I can't wait to see it. So it was, it was really awesome having Ken in that pipeline because you, you want to make sure that it does a good job. And, and I would, I could rest easier because I knew Ken was at exploding kittens and was going to make sure that everything stayed. Take care of your baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make sure it's not mistreated. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay, well then, for anyone who hasn't played the game, you did describe the back of the card has three colors and the front has one, but how do you actually play Mantis? So everyone starts with four cards in their tank. Uh, your tank is kind of your own personal area, and all the cards are face up. What you do is, is on your turn, you get to either choose to steal or score. So you're going to look at the top card of the of the draw pile, and, and so I see, okay, it's blue, red, yellow, uh, and I go, all right, well... I, when I flip this over, it's going to be one of those three colors. So I can either flip it in front of another person if they if they have lots of blue, red, and or yellow cards uh, to attempt to steal. If it matches any of any any colors, let's say it's blue and they have three blue, then I get that new card and the three blue they had, and then those go in front of me in my tank. So if you try and steal, you flip the card in front of someone else. If you don't match, that card just stays in front of them. The other option you can do is you can score, which is where you flip the card in front of yourself. And if you match any of the piles that you have, so pile being all the same color, so you put all your blue in one pile. Um, so if I flip it in front of myself and it matches, then I get to put all of those cards from my tank into my score pile. And we're playing up to 10 points in a three to six player game of Mantis. So I think that's it. Did I miss, did I screw it all up? That's good. Well done. <laughs> It's funny, I actually was shown this game on New Year's Eve, so I was like, oh, this is really cool and cute and so simple and very fun to push your luck and just mess with other people. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was. it's, a, it's definitely a, a design that we're proud of. I think it streamlines it streamlines all the, the steps um, really well, and it's it has like this nice ebb and flow to it where sometimes there's piles that build up a lot and there's a lot of excitement for who can, who can steal it and then try to score it. But yeah, it's it's distilled down to a really simple game set that's easy to teach and really accessible. So yeah, it's definitely a game that we're we're very proud of. 
And you said that most of the design was pretty much nailed in that first like hour of designing it. What were the things that you did kind of change through playtesting and developing? (laughs) Not much. Well, no, I mean, we, we did try, it was interesting. Cause like when you hit the nail on the head, like as Ken said, with the number of colors, like it was like, I right, do we try more? And it's like, oh, that made it worse. Do we try less? Nope. That's not as fun. And then there was a point too, where we tried, we tried four colors on the back and two colors on the back instead of the three. And, and then we tried like some cards are four, some cards are two, but it, it was really just kind of trying to change things and then realizing that 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 it's pretty good i think the the number of of cards you played to to win i we we had some arguments about playing all the way through the deck versus playing to a number of cards to win i think we had like we played around with the steel rule where if you flip the card in front of someone else and it doesn't match them what happens to it and like does it stay in front of them does it just go to a discard blah 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 blah. same with like if you try and score and it doesn't match anyone and then i probably the biggest change was was and it actually came from it was a request from the one of the owners of exploding kittens alan lee where he said i love it the two-player game's not as fun like make me better two-player rules which was it was crazy because i remember at the time be like no it's fine two-player and Ken and I argued about doing it. I think Ken pushed me to be like, just do it. Alon knows what he's doing. And Alon has proven himself time and time again that he absolutely knows what he's doing because we pushed ourselves and that. And the, the two player version, the main differences are you play to 13 points instead of 10, but 15 to 10. Yeah. Oh, 15. Man, I've been teaching a lot of people how to play <laughs> two player mantis wrong. It's it's all good. Just tell them to read the rules. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> uh, sorry, Uncle Bob and Ashley, this weekend I taught you how to play that wrong. <laughs> That's on me. But but the other one is that like if you successfully steal, you immediately get another turn. And there's no limit to how many turns in a row you can take. And that really opened it up. And it's such a fun rule. And, and for that reason, like two-player Mantis is one of my favorite ways to play Mantis. It's just this crazy, aggressive... Like it, it changes, it changes everything because now stealing just got a lot more tasty because it can just even get you a different card that you can use with a lawn pushing there. We would not have gotten to that two player game without it. And it, it actually, it made me change the background to the desktop on my computer. Um, I had a mantra for a while of like, but what would be even better? Because there were a lot of times where Ken and I would find ourselves at the, at a game, be like, this is good. Like, let's stop here. And then we'd show it and, and the lawn would be like, okay, but like what, can you make it better? And then time after time, we're like, oh, we made it better. And it wasn't always a lot asking. We, we, we got to the point where we were asking ourselves. And, and I think that, that that was kind of a cool uh, insight to unlock of like, don't be afraid to ask yourself how to like, like, even if you're happy with the game, be like, okay, but like, can I make it better? Because because we get into this groove where like, okay, things are flowing, it's working. And and obviously you need to know when to stop. I mean, Mantis is, a, is the elegance of it is a really important thing. I remember there was a time I was trying to change it and Ken was just like, no, like this, is, it's simple. Like you're not changing this part of it. And he was, he was right there, but um, there, there, there are definitely times where it's important to know when to push yourself or at least when to ask if you should push yourself like the game push or really any of those kind of push your luck games the ones that are the most simple i feel like are the most fulfilling to play as a player but okay so then the best worst ice cream it's essentially a kid's version of this game mantis how did that come to be and like what are the differences yeah so that one came about uh exploding kittens decided that they wanted to enter the kids game genre and make a big splash there 
So we wanted to launch with four games and we looked at all of the different games that were already in the, the Exploding Kittens catalog and looked at like which one of these could we make a junior version of or a kid's version of. Mantis was one that kind of naturally was brought up. And so Jeremy and I started kicking around ideas for it. And I think the first thing that we wanted to address was um, the stealing element of Mantis because it's while it's whimsical and it's fun and people don't really get offended when it happens during the game because the whole game is very whimsical um we still know that we didn't want to have people stealing cards from their kid and having the kid leave in a crying fit because who wants that so we looked at the stealing portion of the game and thought like how can we simplify this and i remember we kicked around a bunch of different ideas and we even brought it like Jeremy's brother is a very helpful resource for us. He's just like a very creative person that we'll just bring onto a call sometimes and just kick around ideas and that will unlock new ideas for us. Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. So I remember he joined a call at one point and we were just talking about certain, something and all of a sudden the idea of like stealing or um, taking from these characters that are in the middle of the table rather than other players just kind of started to formulate and that's really how we we made it the one change in the game that was interesting and different and um ended up working out really well jeremy's anything you'd like to add no that's that was that was perfect i i 100 agree it was i don't know it's, it's it's always hard to rehash it but that sounds very accurate to me yeah and i there's also like the two different decisions that you make in Mantis of either stealing or scoring based on where you flip the card. Um, we also distilled that down to which of these characters do you want to try to take cards from, from the middle of the table. So you kind of just have one choice, but there's still different spots you can put it. Kids still feel like they have agency in it, even though it's really distilled into something that's easy for them to grasp, easy for them to learn. Yeah. I think, I think, I think just to give a quick, difference between the two of them for for our game designers out there who are interested is is the the rules for best versus ice cream so it's the same cards with three colors on the back one on the front uh and on your turn you're gonna guess which things on the front and the colors are now changed into uh different types of ice cream so there's a hot dog ice cream there's a eyeballs ice cream there are five different and essentially you guess which one it is. And if you're right, then you collect that new card and all the cards that were behind that little standee of, of that type of ice cream. Based on what's happening on the board, there's different, if, if there's a ton of hot dog, uh, hot dog ice cream behind that standee, then you're incentivized to call hot dog because you'd get a bigger prize. But obviously you got to go with your gut. And um, it's actually funny. My, the, the best player of both Mantis and best worst ice cream um, is is my nephew asher who when he's when i gave him this crown he was i think only five but uh he, the way he plays mantis is is he just chooses what color he he knows is on the other side uh and then he's like okay it's gonna be purple and then he just is like oh you have the most purple and he steals from you and he's always right wow and so so he's, he was built for best worst ice cream as well it's so cute it's so funny when kids like are just good at guessing and they're like i'm just so good at this game i was definitely that child <laughs> So how long do you think it took in total from like the inspiration of the component of the three different colors on the back of a card all the way to it being printed and out in stores for people to buy? Do you think it took? For Mantis or Best Worst Ice Cream? For Mantis. I mean, I know we created it before the 2020 Toy Fair. So going from that until when Exploding Kittens saw it, there was some time in there. 
you know, there's probably like four, four to five months, maybe. What do you think? Or do you think it's longer than that, Ken? No, because I think I, did I start? I think I started in Exploding Kittens in 2021. I think it was over a year. Oh, really? Okay. I think it was a year and a half. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. You, you have a better memory than me, so I trust you on this. No, I think it was, it was around that amount of time. And again, like it was shown to some publishers, some had brought in for testing, uh, but it never, uh, never made it to the finish line. But then once I started at Exploding Kittens, and as I'd mentioned, like they, we played it, they started working on art immediately. Um, that was like September and it was released in like February. I think it was, it was, it was either August or September and it was released that next February. So it was like, yeah, that, that time frame was crazy. It was, it was lightning fast. I don't think I've seen a turnaround that quickly. And luckily like it was card only, which helps a lot, but yeah, it was a very, very fast turnaround. For the game, how is it doing now that it's like out and about? I feel like I see it in so many different department stores. It's great. It's definitely a game that is uh, very accessible, very easy to teach. It's a great game for non-gamers and gamers alike. And so it's in major retailers. It's doing well on Amazon. And it's international as well. I do. I love seeing the uh, I love seeing just the different published languages of it i mean the cards themselves are the same language so it's it's just i mean there's no language but just like the different boxes of like ooh, there's a polish one that's always a fun moment yeah it was it was also it was nominated or not not it was recommended for the spiel dr award which is really cool definitely a a goal i think of both jeremy and mine is to someday try to you know compete for that award so even just being on the recommended list with the game was awesome it was very cool. And, and, and not just that award. I, 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 I believe I've talked to you about this before, Ken, but we need to figure out, and Danielle, maybe you can solve this. We need the EGOT of, of the game industry. Like you need, you need this, the spiel, the Aris, you need a toy of the year. You need a toady. Oh, gotcha. One of everything. You want to collect them all like Pokemon. <laughs> it's, yes, exactly. It's, I'm just trying to turn my life into a game. No, I get it. That's how I am when I try to work out. I'm just like, okay, if I can run like a mile in less than 10 minutes, that's good. Or for me, I just got my first taggy nomination. So it's like, all right, now I need to actually win something. Nice. <laughs> Been nominated. Now I got to win. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, that, that recommendation by the Spiel the Aris was was awesome. I think, I think the, uh, like the, 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 I mean, I love the Spiel, it's pro- that's, the Spiel the Aris recommendation is probably the biggest, but, but another really big moment for me and Mantis, I've, I have a friend, his family plays lots of, uh, lots of games and, and they, they tend to tend to have one game that they'll actually play a lot. And I believe it used to be exploding kittens, but they've gone through different things. They had a wild, I think where it was Uno. And he told me that Mantis is now their family game. Like whenever they get together and play a game, they play Mantis. And I'm, and I'm that, that that's very cool to me that it is like a family's favorite game. It's their go-to. Like I, I, I love that. Just knowing that it's bringing, that amount of enjoyment to a group of people it's it's awesome that's so funny i was gonna ask what your favorite and least favorite part of your journey was but it sounds like that you're already answering the question it's like you read the mind <laughs> what about you ken do you have any for mantis specific or about the whole game industry let's go with mantis let's stay focused okay. <laughs> on this i know it's hard you can drop in some best worst ice cream since it's like the kids version though i'll give you that as jeremy mentioned i think seeing people play it hearing about people playing it when a game, I think, hits enough of a critical mass that it kind of gets out there, and you'll have people that will play it that you don't even that don't know that it's your game. I think that's like a really fun moment. Yeah, I think 
how well it's been received in the industry and through people playing it has uh is definitely a highlight for me honestly like it it's one of those as i mentioned it's one of those really rare moments where the game design just clicks together like there's so many like 98 percent of the games that i work on get trashed and so um when something clicks together this fast it's kind of it's a fun moment that you just cherish and know that it's not going to happen often um and so there there wasn't really any hard parts with mantis i think we just got lucky in some regards and yeah so it was well it was interesting because it was ken and i have have done this and it's a good practice to just like sit back look at all of your games and choose what you think is the strongest of like okay these are the seven things we're pitching which is the best and ken like i mean i he convinced me but like ken was sure that mantis was was the best and i i wasn't sure about it yet and i i feel like such an idiot forever uh forever questioning it because it was like well like you say it's great but like all like this publisher this public like these people have all seen it they brought it in for testing they passed like is it a good game everyone who says it's a good game just said it wasn't and ken believed in it and and uh pushed it across there which is phenomenal and and so now i i'm like it, it's definitely taught me to trust my gut but really just to trust ken's gut even more I feel like that's hard, though, when you have a game that you just know is special and a lot of publishers send it back. But hey, I'm glad it landed. I think that's that's one of the like hard parts of, of game design that really like levels you up is when you start to understand which games are worth continuing to pursue and which ones are worth just trashing. And I think we, um, we've gotten a lot better at that over the years. But yeah, even like another game that I designed was Happy Salmon. That one was shown to probably like 12 publishers that all turned it down until Northstar took it. And that's one of my most successful games. It's definitely a, an indication that if you truly believe something is special, like just stick with it and um, someone will eventually take the chance on it. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to like bring back in some of my older designs and just I'll give it a facelift, like a new theme or something every once in a while, if I really believe in it. Ken and I do a ton of that. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of looking at our looking at our old stuff and and revamping it. It's it's amazing. It's it's just it, it's yeah, the f- figuring out the path to to letting a game be what it wants to be. I think is the hard part that that it took us a long time to learn. And like if 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 everyone's making the same mistake in your game, that should not be in that like that that part shouldn't be in the game. Like no matter what you think, like okay, make the game work without that part. And uh, I don't know, man, that was a big tangent for me. I'll tell you, sorry about that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. It's funny. So, well, yeah, then what kind of advice would you give to designers? Like if you could pick something based off of this experience or just in general, I know since you both have done kind of toyetic games versus uh, just card games, do you have any advice that you would tell a newer designer? I, I would say look out for insights, find truths. They don't have to be universal, but but just things that that tend to be tend to work for you of like one of them is is what i just said of of if people are screwing up a thing in your game it's not their fault it's your fault if 40 percent of the people <laughs> like it's like oh i forgot to discard that card don't make them discard that card anymore like like the 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 gameplay that you designed will have a natural flow and and intuition is should trump 99 percent of the time what you're trying to get to happen for your game i i usually say every game can have one non-intuitive move and that that's really what most people can handle. And that's what makes it the game. And then everything else should kind of work. I'll say probably the, the two pieces of advice I give to, to more novice designers is 
first is look for a game hook, look for something that's going to differentiate it because so many games that come out every year and without it, it just gets lost in the noise. And I've seen way too often people kind of ignore that or leave it to the end. And it's, it should be something that really drives a lot of the design. Um, so look for something that's different and unique. And the other thing is test multiple games. When you go into a play test, like try, try bringing like three games or five games. And I know that's hard to do if you go into a, you know, if you're just starting out and you only have one game, that's fine. Or if you go into a play test night where there's multiple different designers there testing stuff, it's hard to put in multiple things. But I've always found so much value in playing like, you know, five different games in the same night with the same group and having them select their favorite versus me just playing one game and be like, okay, I thought that was good. Or, you know, my testers liked it, which is just, it's, it's hard for them to be able to decipher, you know, what they, what they truly enjoyed. But it's a lot easier for them to say like, oh, we played five games. This was my favorite. I think that just, it helps a lot, um, especially early on in the process. Interesting. You play King of the Hill with your own games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ken gets more joy out of anyone on the planet uh, by by killing an idea. He loves it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He loves, like, oh, that one's bad. Let's chuck it. Oh, my gosh. We just have too many, we have too many ideas, which is a good problem, but it's also, I don't know, it feels great to kill an idea and just know like, hey, we gave it a shot and it's yeah. not, it didn't, it didn't pan out, but you know. Oh, totally. I mean, you only have so much time and energy in your life. So why waste it on something that's not going to pan out? And maybe later it'll inspire something different. Yes. Yep. And then for the two of you, either together or separately, do you have any projects that fans should be looking out for next year coming out? Oh man, we got a lot of stuff coming out. I have no idea what we're allowed to talk about. I would, I would just say, I would say no. Yes, how about just a yes? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, are there any recent releases people should be looking out for? Then is that better? I know this whole game is this whole thing has been about Mantis, but Mantis is my number one recommendation for people who like games, who don't like games, or who just want to play something I made. It would be Mantis, all the way. Yeah, I agree. I was trying to. Trying to think of only games I've done with Jeremy, so I won't I won't include anything else. Well, you can do other things. <laughs> I, I I do think I do think our game Left Right Dilemma is an absolutely fantastic party game. NSFW for for those of you who are looking to play it, but Left Right Dilemma with Cajones is uh, every time I play that with I I was playing it with my my neighbors one time and and we got back together a month later and they're like get the Left Right Dilemma we want to play that again and then it happened again and again and so. That 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 one's pretty great. And then I don't know for us, Ken, bunch of butts. Yeah, bunch of butts. Is bunch of butts fun. is a great one. <laughs> so funny, and that's one you two did on your own. Yeah, that was a self-publish. That was our first, yeah, first swing into self-publishing, just to put our toe in the water and see how it felt. How did it feel? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we we realized the parts of this industry and this business that we enjoy doing, and the parts that we don't enjoy doing. And I think it was. Uh, it, it was good. I'm glad we took the stab at it. Oh, I'm so glad we did it. I think we'll we'll figure out in the future if we ever want to go back into that water. Well, I, I I and I think bunch of butts was it was it was an interesting an interesting learning experience because we did it, we self published it, and then like as we were pitching other games, I was it made me think more about like would I self publish this? Like, no, nah, it's missing that special thing. And I'm like, wait, if it's missing that special thing, why the hell am I trying? Why would someone else do it? And so, so it, it really like Ken and I now will look at our games and be like, okay, 
what does it need? Like, like it, it's, it, it doesn't feel like it's special enough. It really helped us kind of figure out that hook moment that needs to get in there. Yeah, I agree. No, that's great. I mean, you're already doing the publisher's job for them. <laughs> My last question of the episode will be, if you could have designed a game that you did not design, which one do you wish it was? I mean, I have a lot that I love, but two in particular that I just like very much admire the game design for. Um, first one is Hanabi. I think it's just amazing, incredible, beautiful piece of art um, in a game. And my family loves it. Um, I love playing with friends. It's just such a simple and elegant cooperative card game. And then Quicks, Jeremy does not like as much as I do. Oh, but he's shush. so wrong. I all I want, I just want a better hook on it. That's it. I think it's just like a phenomenal push your luck dice game that again, I think both the games are something that I admire them so much because I like designing like small, small types of games um, like those that deliver this um, fun experience. And I think both those kind of fall in that category. And I just, um, I think they're so elegant and fun and accessible. And yeah, so those are my two. The answer to my question, I'm going to try and say without making Ken smile too much, but it, it 100% is Happy Salmon. Um, it's, it, it, it's just Thank so... You. I just I just... <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Suck well up. deserved. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll say very mean things to Ken all the time. This has nothing to do with being nice to Ken. Um, but uh, no, it's, 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 a, it's, it's just so elegant. The elegance is just what I appreciate. It's it's game design, but like it's game design on a level that people aren't like people are game design and be like, oh, well, what if you had to draw more cards or what if like instead you rolled dice and 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 it kind of like took a step back and it was like meta game design because I mean, it's it was it's like a I don't know. It's very rare. You see a new game mechanic. And um and I feel like that's probably that's as party game mechanics go. I feel like that's one of the best we've seen in the past 20 years. Stop. Yeah, it's it's okay. Now I'll stop. <laughs> As Jeremy mentioned, though, we are very mean to each other in a, in a very loving way. But I think that it also helps a lot in our game design process that we are like brutally honest with each other. I don't think there's anything that we could say to each other that would really offend either of us. But um, it helps cut through so much of the noise that we can just openly speak our mind. If like if anything seems off, if if we don't like any ideas, we just we say it. I think it, it helps that we don't have to, yeah, you know, waste time kind of trying to make the other person happy um, about, you know, one of their ideas. I think it's, it's nice that we are able to just be blunt with each other um, and move quickly. Yeah. No, the, the number of times Ken and I will tell each other is like, that's a bad idea or, or, and I do this way more than Ken, but I'll just be like, no, shut up. And I'll just start telling my idea. And Ken's very nice about not getting upset about that. I don't think you don't tell me to shut up, Ken, right? That's just a one-way street. Yeah. That's a, that's a very mean thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Do the two of you, I know you do stuff alone and then you do stuff together. Do you have other co-designers that you work with? Mm-hmm. Yep. What makes your guys's little pairing special? I think part of it's what Ken just said of like, we, we can, we, we know that there's just zero offense being taken when we're working together. It, it's like the, the goal is to make the best game that, that, that we can. I also think Ken and I have a, a way of speaking that we can just run through ideas very quickly of we'll use a term that neither of us has ever used before of like a relation to a game. I can't think of any examples right now of, of like, like we'll, we'll talk about, if Ken suggests a game mechanic, it'll be like, oh, like what if it was like dueling in in 
and bang. And like a lot of game designers will understand that, but but it's like, okay, like what if we what if we do a duel here? And and just by having so many different mechanics we can draw on and talk about, like it it uh it allows us to move a lot quicker. Um and I don't know. I think we just we just we just groove really well. I think I think I think we're we're Ken's much Ken's stronger in gameplay. I'm stronger in hook. Not to say that he can't do hook. He's a very I, I think that he's underselling himself. I think Ken's very good at hook. But um the it, it I don't know, it just it helps us it helps us work well together. I don't I don't know if I can fully define it. Maybe Ken has a better idea. No, I I think that's it. We play into each other's strengths well. We're, you know, very very blunt with each other, very open with each other. We we both strive to always raise our bar and make sure that every game that we put out is kind of better than the last one. So I think we have that common thread between us. So it helps a lot. But yeah, I, I have a couple other game design partners and I think all of the ones that have been successful, I think just have that, you just have that instant chemistry and you work well. But with Jeremy, yeah, it's definitely, it's one of the strongest that I have. So, yep. Yeah, I, I love working with others, but if you look at what I have on market, it's obvious that Ken and I, have something special just based on percentage of the games that I have out that are Ken and I, or maybe it's just Ken. Maybe I'm not special at all. Oh my gosh. Uh, I didn't want to break it to you, but yeah. Damn it. (laughs) On a podcast. On a podcast. And that's how we're going to close out this episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Nah, you two are funny. Well, I actually am going to close out the episode though. So thank you for that being the last bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 This was great. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thanks for everyone who was listening to this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 79 Mantis. And thanks again, Jeremy and Ken. But for anyone trying to find what you two are doing together or separately, is there anywhere you can be found online that you want people to follow? Yeah, I, I keep telling myself to do have a better social media presence, and I'm not good at it. The The best way, if you want to see what I have on market, if you go to my website, shenaniganstoysandgames.com, there's a link there that just shows everything that I've that I've done that's available with some Amazon affiliate links too if you want to help me out even more by buying that way but um yeah that's that's about it for now uh keep an eye out if if I get off my butt and actually make a fun Instagram to follow follow that um good luck <laughs> I also do not have a great social media presence so I think uh I'm always happy when someone's played a game of mine and was a fan and reached out on like Facebook or wherever. Um, I'm always happy to connect with people or answer any rules questions if they have them. Um, but yeah, I think honestly like board game geek is probably the best place to see what games I've done, even though like I'll, there's a handful of mass market games that don't even make it on there. Um, but yep. I think that's, that's it. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. And if you're looking to find me, you can find me all over the internet. unlike these two. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, X, or whatever we're calling that. Blue Sky under the name Token Gamer. And that's spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R. Thanks, you two. This was fun. Yeah, thanks, Danielle. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. And if you're looking for a great board game, bag, playbat, or gaming table, Check out All Play at letsallplay.com. Join us next time.